From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. I am here with pastors Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Greetings. Hello, everybody. Okay, so today I want to talk about church planning. We just had our first night of worship in Johnstown, which I think is becoming a good prospect for our next summit location. Yeah. Um, This night, in my opinion, was both impressive and encouraging. Um, It was reasonably well attended for a first contact. um, And I think, I mean, I I didn't count, but it looked like almost 100 or maybe a little more than 100. We had 125 adults, and then we had... You know, I think there were about 30 kids yeah, uh, or yeah. something like that. And it looked so. to me like almost like a majority of people there, I didn't recognize them. Like I didn't know who they were. So they were just... Yeah, I mean, obviously, maybe it's not so obvious, but there were a, a good number of folks from Summit who were there. But by and large, the vast majority of the folks were Johnstown folks who, you know, were being introduced to Summit for the very first time. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, but by, by my best estimates, it was about half and half, which okay. I was very happy with. I'll yeah, take that. That's a great, great first contact, great first night. Um, going into it, I had this perception of Johnstown, like, okay, it's a super sort of depressed area. There's a spirit of, well, this is, you know, like like we had talked before about how it's kind of known as Flood City and um, because of the floods and how it's known for the the destructive nature of like the, the cultural milieu there that uh, people struggle, people are impoverished, like there might be higher crime, all that kind of stuff was in my head going mm-hmm. into it. And so when I saw the uh, people who were in attendance reacting to the gospel mm-hmm. so positively, like yeah. and, and just the feedback, I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't not anticipate that. I thought it would be more like a, you know, oh, well, you're being judgy or who are you to say this to me? Um, you know, why should I follow Jesus when my life has been like this, like Mm -hmm. that kind of attitude. Um, and it wasn't like that at all. It was completely the opposite. So then it had me thinking, okay, if I was picking a town to plant a church, I wouldn't have picked Johnstown. And that would have been a mistake to not pick Johnstown. I would have made a calculation error, um, based on what I saw last night or on Sunday night. Um, Okay, so my first question then when it comes to church planning is how do you pick a town? What goes into that? <laughs> I think it depends on the church. I think lots of churches have different formulas or different strategy on what to do or how to do it. Um, and I've got, I mean, and there's not a right or wrong way. It all comes back to who um, who you are and who God's called you to be. And so, I mean, as many churches as there are, there are that many ways to pick where to go. So for us... One of the first things we do, though, is look at where our people are coming from. So that is that is almost entirely how we started with Blairsville. When we started our Blairsville location, we said, hey, we've got a bunch of people coming from there. Uh, it would make sense for us to put a location there because it's far enough away. People aren't bringing their friends. It's far enough away than when people say to their friends, hey, I've got a great church. You should come with me. Uh, where is it? Oh, it's in Indiana. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with this area, you know, it's only, I don't know, 16, 18 miles. It's not that far. 25 minutes, maybe, depending on where you're coming from. But it's still far enough away psychologically for people to go, oh, that's too far. I'm not going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that was one of the major decisions there. Like, hey, we've, this is a point of leverage for us that we've got people already. So it makes sense for us to start there. 
Um, we were less concerned about demographics or, um, Hey, it's a fast growing area or Hey, it's a wealthy area or, you know, that stuff was secondary for us. Uh, it was more about where the humans, where our current humans at. (laughs) Um, and I know that's one of the things life church, um, you know, in Oklahoma city, that's one of the things they do strategically. Um, cause when they were starting campuses years and years and years ago, excuse me, they had, um, Oh, they had a Las Vegas campus and they had a Nashville campus right. and they had campuses all over the United States and, um, and they didn't work uh, they didn't work well. And so then they, they drew the net back in and said, okay, let's start with where we're at. And then they started leapfrogging. So they would take a campus and they go, Hey, we've got a campus in this area, but we've got 800 people that are coming to that campus from this area. What if we started one there? And so then they would go there and they would take people and they started doing launches. I mean, life church is a different animal entirely, but they had started launching churches. They launched one of my hometown and launch Sunday. They had 3000 plus people at church. It's like, that's a pretty good launch. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think you're probably yeah. going to make it if you have 3000 people in attendance, your first uh, service. Even, so. even if half of them didn't come back. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You're still a big church anyway. So it, it really is different for every church. I think. So what's the radius? Um, I've heard five miles. Like if uh, if a church is greater than five miles away from your house, you're less likely to go to it. Um, so does that come into the calculation? Like, okay, so you plant in Johnstown. Uh, if you want to leapfrog to a, a nearby place, um, what's the what's the limit? What's the minimum distance that you're going to... Like, would you plant another summit church across town in Indiana or not? And, and is that associated with distance? I mean, I think it, there's a there's a lot of variables there. I think it depends on your context. For example, we are in western Pennsylvania, which is largely a, a rural area, rural population. Uh, and so lots of people drive more than five miles to go to church. Uh, because to do anything. Right. Because the they, grocery they store live, to, right, yeah. they live on the farm out in the county and they, you know, and so so the context has a lot to do with that. If we were an urban church or even suburban church that that probably is is more accurate but where we are that changes mm-hmm. so i think you have to consider those things uh you know so for us i mean johnstown is a, a 40 minute drive right mm-hmm. but it's not uh, you know it's that's not too big of a leap for us in terms of where our next plant might be because already we have folks who live well, say halfway, and we really we have some folks who drive from Johnstown, but mm. but even if you lived halfway between Indiana and Johnstown, well, you're driving 20 minutes to go to church no matter which location you're going mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. right? And so some of those things have to come into play, and that changes how we do things. As far as planting another campus across town in Indiana, I mean, Mel would probably you know be able to speak to that more than me, but I don't know that that's really going to gain us anything. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, when we first came to summit in 2014, um, the church, there's another assemblies of God church in town. And, um, not long after we came, their pastor retired and they were having a hard time finding a pastor. And the idea was floated from the assemblies, like the possibility of us taking over the location. And I just re- rejected it. Cause I was like, nah, that doesn't help us. Um, it doesn't give us any kind of strategic advantage. We'll help them if they want us to help them, but we don't, we're not interested in like, it doesn't give us an opportunity to reach people. We wouldn't be reaching already where we're at. Um, I think 
bigger population, someplace like Johnstown, for instance, could support a couple of different locations. Um, But that's not, I mean, really our heart is not to take over the world or, you know, or to... To yeah. to be like Life Church, or you know, our heart is just to say, hey, where are there areas that need healthy, vibrant churches, and where can we come alongside the existing churches and work with them and partner with them to to help see the the tide rise. Yeah, I mean, and going back to your your original question about how do you choose where to plant, you know, I think there are there are lots of things that people look at. You know, um, you know, is it a area where the population is growing? Is you know all those kinds of things, and those are those are good things to look at. But at the end of the day, I mean, sometimes God calls us to go to the places that don't make any sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. like and, Johnstown. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, with with any of this stuff, if you're not praying and asking the Lord for direction and and getting wise counsel from other people and all that, then. Um, Maybe you maybe you need to reconsider why you're planting, yeah. and then and then refocus on you know what's most important, which is God. Where are you sending us? So how do you deal with people like from inside the congregation coming to you with suggestions on where you should go next, or d- does that you just kind of? Yeah, and and I get that some, uh, especially you know when we started talking about Blairsville um, back in the end of 2019. You know, I'd start having people say, oh, have you thought about, have you thought about, and the answer was yes, yes, I've thought about it. If you've thought about it, I promise I've thought about it, because um, we look at just about every option. And, um, and you know, Todd alluded to this. For us, you know, our our goal is not, I mean, if, if our goal was to say, let's go to the fastest growing area in our county, it would be like, uh, are there any fast growing areas in our county? I- I think they're all slowly shrinking. Yeah, and so that's the thing. That's rural, right? Um, and so if we're if our if our filter is let's go f- to fast growing, let's go to affluent. It, well, that limits options. And so for us, it's not that that's not the the dominant uh, metric for us. For us, it's hey, where are churches? Where are people underserved by for the gospel? Um, where is where is there an area of people that need a message like this that maybe they're not, they're getting the message but differently the methodology is different than the way we would deliver it um and i frankly i get a little frustrated with church planning efforts that if it's amazing how many people are called to texas to plant a church yeah, or called yeah, to yeah. florida mm-hmm. or you know um the fastest growing areas of the country god just happens to say and again those areas need churches i get it um, but man, there are lots and lots and lots of small towns in rural America. There are lots of places in the Northeast that desperately need a gospel res- representation that, uh, amazingly enough, God's not calling people there. He's only calling them to affluent, fast growing areas, which mm-hmm. is frustrating right. for me. And, and, and not that God might not be calling folks there. I mean, they, like Mel said, those places need churches yeah. and, and perhaps the, you know, God calls folks to those places so that then they might empower efforts in those other locations, right? In Maybe. The I think you're being nicer the... than I am, but yes, well, you're, you're well, right. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, uh, if, you know, but you need to, I mean, those are things yeah. you have to consider. Like, God, okay, if if God is calling you to a, a really fast-growing, really affluent area of the country, then you go, okay, God, why are you calling me here? Yeah. And what is it that we might do in response to the resources that we have and the responsibility that you've given us in light of that. And I would love to see that kind of thing where, you know, I mean, 
where churches are planting churches and where they're mm-hmm. investing in places again that sometimes maybe it, from a from a sheerly you know flesh standpoint like if i'm looking at it with natural eyes it doesn't make any sense yeah. but if i'm looking at it with the heart of god it makes all the sense in the world okay so let's tap into that a little bit more um I'm, if i'm not mistaken both of you have ministry experience in bigger cities mm-hmm. yeah and so when you think about bigger cities strategically, you think, okay, well, the population's much bigger. There's probably more money running through the the bigger city. Um, strategically, from a worldly perspective, it seems like it makes the most sense to do the first plant in like a Pittsburgh and to get like a an extra, uh, you know, 1,200, 1,500 person church going, which could then fuel the smaller areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the path that we're taking. And so the the question I guess I have is, is it actually more difficult to uh, plant churches in smaller areas? Do you think that people who think, okay, well, big, rich city is probably easier. Do you think it's because they don't have experience in big, rich cities? Or do you think it's act or do you think it's easier? I'm trying to feel this out. They both have their challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, church planting is not easy, no matter where you do it. <laughs> Uh, that is true. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so they both have their challenges. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah. Uh, and, um, guys that are in metropolitan areas think, man, if, if I was in a small town, I would own it. And guys that are in a small town <laughs> think, man, if I was in a big city with all those people, I would own it. Yeah. Um, cause it's that grass is greener thing. Right. And because mm-hmm. uh, I hear I've, I've heard people tell us, man, if you if your church was in the south, you'd have 5000 people in your church. It's like, no, no, I've, I've been at a church that big in the south. And, you know, it's just it's just different. Um, and so, like Todd said, church planning is hard no matter where you're at. It's a challenge. It's not going to be easy. When we helped start um, a church in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, it was with my wife's uncle and he had had a successful youth ministry in Florida. We'd been part of some growing churches. And uh, we went and I honestly, I never said this, but I honestly believed like, okay, we're going to be writing a book about this someday. Like this church is going to explode because I've seen stories and this is what's going to happen. And I'm I'm sure at some point I'll be preaching at conferences. Everyone who's written a book, that's exactly how it went. It is. It's like (laughs) week one, we had 300 people at our church plant. Week two, we had 5,000. It's amazing. And this is what happens. And we, that's normative. Like that's what we think is normal in church planning and it's just not the case yeah. the church the church we helped start um you know we're obviously still in relationship with Kim's uncle thankfully and uh, <laughs> we love them and we spend time together and talk and that church today is a church that um that they're bigger than the average church in America but that church is under 200 um and they're in the shadow of Gateway one of the biggest churches in America yeah. you know they're literally one exit away um, but they're doing they're doing okay. Um, but that is not what we dreamed about when we started. Um, and so sometimes I think having the right expectations with church planning yeah. is really 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 important. Um, and so I don't think one is easier than the other. They each have their own challenges. It's kind of like what's easier, church planning or church revitalization? It's like well, they both have pros and cons. Right. And so whether you're rural or urban, um, or suburban, they both have some some things that are advantages and then they've got some things that are definitely uh, disadvantages. Yeah. So the strategic advantage of starting a church in a bigger city is not certain enough to 
allow that to foreclose on Mm-mm. which part of the area needs the gospel the most. Yeah, and you know, Todd referenced prayer earlier. Um, you know, we do have strategy on where we think about where we want to go or where we want to plant a church, but but part that strategy has to be bathed in prayer. And so, same thing with that. Whether we say, hey, you know. Hey, it makes logical sense to start with a bigger population base and and a place that has more affluence. But if God doesn't tell you to do that, then you'd be dumb to mm-hmm. be disobedient with a good strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like Johnstown was not at the top of my list, to be perfectly honest with you, because that's not where we have the most people coming from. Um, it doesn't make a ton of logical sense for us, but as, as our leadership was praying about it, we just kept coming back to that. Like, man, yeah. this is what God keeps laying on our heart, so... We got to be obedient to this and we got to, you know, explore this and see. So I think it it all comes, still comes back to that. Like, hey, I'm going to have my strategy and I'm going to have my plans, but I'm going to hold on to them loosely and I'm going to let God dictate what we do. Okay. So what were your first steps in terms of networking? Once you get through the selection process and it's like, okay, we're going to try this place. What, what steps do you take in terms of networking? Like getting to know the people there. I think you talked to like, town councils and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. people who are in charge of the leadership of the town to kind of get to know them and find yeah. out what, you know, the history of the town. You mentioned reading a book about the, mm-hmm. one of the floods. And so like, I, I want to know more about what does that look like once you say, okay, we're going to try this place. I need to go meet people. Well, in Johnstown, um, I started asking some people like, okay, who are the who are the people of influence in Johnstown spiritually? Who are the people who um, are the gatekeepers are the people in the know? And then I just went in, started asking questions like, Hey, can we go to coffee? I'd just like to talk to you about and, you know, telling them like, Hey, we're thinking about this, but we want to, we don't want to get anything foolishly. We want to, you know, um, we want to weigh the cost, not just the financial cost, but you know, really figure this out. And so just started asking questions, trying to learn and in that process, it, it's really been amazing. I haven't even shared this with our church, but like, you know, through that process, um, whether it was talking to pastors or um, civic leaders or business leaders, almost without fail, it was like the Macedonian call. You know, it was like, come help us. Yeah. Like, come, we need churches like yours, come be a part. And, um, and that was different than when we started Blairsville because, to be perfectly honest, in Blairsville, I don't think there was a – we had a lot of civic support, but there wasn't a lot of church support. I think the churches were nervous that we were going to yeah. come in and sweep all their people up and take them and bring them to the big church, and you know. But, um, but you know, we've, we've built rapport and – we've got great relationship with the churches now, but it's, it was different in Johnstown as we've started exploring this just because of that. Um, and so that helped inform us as well to go, okay, Hey, God might be in this because, um, just because of what we're hearing and seeing in the signs from the other churches and leaders and things like that. And that takes like a measure of humility to do that kind of due diligence too, because it could be easy, especially, um, you know, pastoring a successful church and then pastoring a successful church, which has planted a successful church to like, when you get to like three and four to be like, okay, well, I just have the formula. So mm-hmm. I, wherever, wherever we go, it's going to work. And then you stop doing the due diligence and then you stop asking <laughs> the questions and then you stop getting the Macedonian call. And then you start, yeah. you know, you don't build the rapport and all that stuff. Like it's never, you never get to the point where you're, 
you're beyond relationship in that yeah. area. And that's like the, that's a huge part of laying that groundwork. And I think that part of the humility, if I'm not mistaken, we advertised the night of worship locally, yeah, right? Like yeah, in Johnstown. Do. So there's humility in that too, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, because you're, you're, you're not, um, coming from the mindset of like, okay, well, we have enough people coming through Summit that word of mouth will just take care of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we need to advertise this. We need yeah. to let people know about it. Like, we, you know, we're not that famous to where we can't, we can't, you know, where advertising would be a waste. Yeah, yeah. There are most of the churches in Johnstown don't even know who we are. Yeah. Um, and you know, in Indiana County, we're a significant presence. Um, the churches in Blairsville knew who we were because we're. 20 minutes up the road or whatever. But Johnstown, I can say I'm from I'm the pastor of Summit Church and that doesn't open any doors for me. Like nobody's like, oh, okay. You know, like you've had a measure of success there. So they don't care. They just know I'm a pastor and thinking about starting a church. And and so that was a little bit of a different experience. But um, but you're, I think you're right. It all, it all comes back to relationship. It all comes back to, you know, our goal is not just to plant a church. Our goal is to build, plant a life-giving church that's in community with other churches. Yeah. And if that's what our goal is, then we have to start with the end in mind and uh, and work that way. So what would you say are the most important core ingredients for a new church plant? So one of the things that they teach you in like <laughs> entrepreneurship is if you have a good idea that you want to market or you want to sell, start out really small, start out really narrow and see if that works because there's low overhead. You know, like if if Mm -hmm. I want to sell widgets, I'm going to only build the widget factory and I'm going to keep the widget simple. I'm not going to do all these extra things around it. Um, I'm going to focus on the core of what I want to be good at and then Mm -hmm. uh, grow from there. So when it comes to church planning, what is that core? Across the board, generally speaking, or specifically with us? specifically with that let's go specifically with us and then let's go across the board so like when you're thinking about okay the next plant um what are the things i can't do without yeah when it comes to the like even the infrastructure of the building like what teams are in place those sorts of things so if i'm a pastor and i'm thinking about starting a church and i think to myself oh well you know i really just i got to make sure i get the coffee bar in the lobby if i don't have that i can't open right like that that to me that strikes me as like the wrong way of thinking about it like that that should that's not a core thing yeah but there's lots of churches that have coffee bars and there's lots of churches that have extra things and so it does i guess what i'm trying to get at is that it doesn't need to be perfect before you go yeah because if, if it needs to be perfect you'll never go so what's the what's the thing that has to be there before you go i think for me it it um we have to have I have to feel confident that we're going to be able to represent our culture well, um, because lots of churches have preaching, lots of churches have worship, lots of churches have kids ministry. So that's the same among every church to some degree or another, right? And we there's levels and degrees of how well you can do that stuff or pull it off, but every church has preaching, right? So it's not just a matter of that stuff. Uh, we, For me, it's can we get our culture right? Because the culture is what is hard to replicate. You know, another church can rip off some of the things we do, but they can't rip off our culture. And so that's the thing for me. And I'm like, if we can't get this right, I don't want to go because um, they don't need another church just having church. Like we want to get our culture right and our feel right and the environment right. And so even to your point with the coffee bar, that's not a huge thing for us. But there are churches that their coffee bar helps drive their culture because it provides 
um, mm-hmm. opportunities for connection or relationship, right. whatever. I was talking to um, a friend of Back 40, uh, Chris Trethway, a couple weeks ago, and he said that they stopped doing donuts during COVID, and they were glad because donuts drove them crazy, <laughs> right? And it was an expense, and but they realized people weren't hanging out in the lobby anymore. And like after service, people were gone. You know, in between services, there was a big gap. Yeah. And they brought donuts back, and it created environment and created a reason for people to stay. And he was like, "So we got to we got to buy yeah. donuts." So because you don't think donuts are that big a piece, but it helps drive the culture. And so for us, it's 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 not just about well, we want to preach well. We want to. It's like okay, we know what we want our culture to feel and look like, and. Um, and so whatever we need to do to drive that is what is going to be, uh, a priority for us. Yeah. And I think it, it would be easy to go, well, you know, it's the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. And it is the gospel, but every Bible believing church is preaching the gospel, yeah. but they still look really different. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I think that you have to. You have to find those things, and Mel was talking about with culture, those things that make your church unique, mm-hmm. those things that, um, you know, that that God has uniquely gifted that particular group of people to do, uh, and do those things well. And, you know, so uh, I heard someone recently talking about culture and saying culture is not something that you do is something that you are, right? Mm-hmm. Culture is who yeah. you are. Yeah. And so it's those things. We have to go, okay, well, who's God created us to be? What is, who are we? And then, and then go and be that and represent that well. And so I think, I mean, I think Mel's right on with that. And I, <laughs> I want to be careful too. I think we have to identify who we are, but we also have to be honest enough about, is this what we want to re- be uh, replicating, right? Like, is this a, is this a culture that that another town needs a yeah. church like yeah, yeah. this, but yeah, you're right too. I mean, like, man, I'm not Craig Rochelle, and um, I don't know anybody who is. That guy's a beast, right? right. Um, I, I don't preach like Stephen Furtick or TD Jakes or whoever your favorite preacher is, and so I think you're 100 percent right. You just need to figure out, like, okay, who am I? And the, the, our communities need our voices. They don't need Craig Rochelle's voice, right? Um, and they can listen to Craig As Rochelle's I said, voice. They can hear anytime Craig they Rochelle, want, anytime. Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, I, I love that idea. So if culture is such a high priority, um, and I think that you've both articulated good reasons why it should be, um, how does that change your selection process in terms of a campus pastor, in terms of choosing leadership of the church plant? Um, what does that look like? Because a pastor who's planting his first church or a church who's planting their first church might think, okay, well, what we need primarily is competence. What we need Mm -hmm. primarily is ability. If we Mm -hmm. have good ability, if we can attract good ability, then we'll be successful. But there's a rub there because you could have good ability, but that person might not be very good at keeping the culture. So Mm -hmm. how does that, uh, what do you look for whenever you're looking for leadership of a church plant? Uh, for, for me, um, the first thing is, um, you know, well, okay. Let me back up. Every church plan is different, and and even with multi-site. So our churches are multi-site churches, um, and we deliver the message via video. So we have live worship team, all that kind of stuff there in the room. But the preaching is is me from the uh, broadcast location here in Indiana. Um, 
and so some churches are different. They need somebody who's a, a, a good communicator, um, a good preacher. And so that changes the dynamic a little bit because there aren't a ton of people who are good preachers who want to be campus pastors. A lot of them want to go plant churches. Right. And so that can be a challenge. Um, in our model, what we're doing is we're, we're planting churches with a multi-site model. So we're Starting uh, with multi-site, so it's Summit Church in Blairsville. If we go to Johnstown, it would be Summit Church, Johnstown. Um, we would start with video, so it would be video preaching from Indiana. But th- the goal for us is to wean off of video over time to where eventually it's an independent church. It's not Summit Church anymore. It's our, it's our son or daughter or whatever you want to call that location, but it's not us. And uh, so that even changes a little bit because now it's not just I need somebody who's going to be loyal but it's like I need somebody who can be loyal, and if like Colin is going to be the long-term guy in Blairsville, I need him to be able to pastor that church, you know, and steward that church effectively. And ultimately, I need him to be able to preach and communicate. And um, and so, you know, it's it's a different formula for every situation. I think one of the things you have to start with, if you're going to plan a church, uh, if it's going to be closely connected to the mother church, uh, you've got to have somebody who's loyal. Uh, and I don't mean like the blind kind of loyalty, you know, where they just, um, it's gotta be an authentic relational loyalty. It can't Mm -hmm. just be, um, oh yeah, yeah, I work here. I get a paycheck. Yes, I'm loyal. Um, it's gotta be, it's gotta be heartfelt, um, because mistrust can happen pretty easily with church plants. Um, and so I think that's one thing that's gotta be close to the top, but you can't discount competency. I mean, you can't put a, a fool in one of those places and of leadership, because that reflects back on your leadership as the pastor. Um, but if I was giving some advice for pastors, and, and you don't have to be a big church to plant another church. There's lots of models. There's lots of ways to do it yeah. at, at, a, at a relatively inexpensive way. And I would tell you, start in your house. Start with the people you've got. There are people that know your vision, know your heart, love you, and you can coach somebody to preach good. You can help them get to be a better preacher if that's what you need. Um, but I'd start in your house probably. Yeah. And then from the culture standpoint, you know, it's a, it, there are a couple ways to go about that, right? I mean, if you have the ability to promote internally and you've got somebody that's been a part of the culture for a while already and that understands the DNA of the church and all those kinds of things, that's ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is if you have the ability to, you know, identify and hire someone with with a long kind of uh, you know, on ramp, so to speak, mm-hmm. where they'll be at the main location yeah. for you know a year or so before the launch of the new campus, so they get to be a part of the culture and to learn and to see and to you know, uh, and then are better prepared you know once once launch time comes. Uh, I think you know those are the those are the two best scenarios. It doesn't you know you don't always have that luxury, uh, but I think that's probably. Uh, the the best you know best case scenario that's that's if if you have that ability do it that way yeah so you don't have to find someone who's necessarily like a perfect fit right off the go because yeah. you don't have to you're going to continue a relationship with that person yeah. while they're in leadership of yeah. that church and so you can kind of help mentor them and guide them and mold them that way too well and and, and I've talked to Colin our Blairsville campus pastor uh, about this extensively like I've known Colin and his wife since they were teenagers, they were in my youth ministry in Austin, Texas. And so I've known him a long time. I've pastored him a long time. Um, and in spite of our long relationship, 
um, you know, he came in and about six months after he got here, we named him or eight months, maybe our campus pastor in, in Blairsville. And there was still a learning curve because as much as he loved me and knows me, he still didn't know our culture as well as you would think. And so, um, the folks over David Ashcraft is the pastor of LCBC. And I asked him one time, I said, how long for you does it take a new hire to learn your culture? And he said, two years. Uh, he said, from the time we hire them to the time they really get it, it's two years. And so, um, so that's, I think that's something to consider. So even if you have long relationship, that's still better for me than bringing in somebody cold that you don't know. Um, but even somebody, you know, well, they're going to still going to have to learn your culture and learn how you guys do things. So, yeah. And having the awareness of that two year window, I think is super important because Mm -hmm. if you appoint someone and then maybe it's like a rough start or Mm -hmm. things aren't really going the way you thought you would, you might start to think you made a mistake, but it like, if you know about the Mm -hmm. two year window, then you know, okay, no, this is just a growing process like anything else. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really good. So how do you strike the balance between preparedness to plant and taking a leap of faith? So, (laughs) because like, you know, there's churches, I think, I think probably most churches fall on the side of they, they never actually do it because they don't ever feel like they're prepared to do it. But then there's also situations where you have to, you know, you could be so ready to go that someone has to pull you aside and say, Hey, um, this, I know this is what your vision is for this thing, but we can't do this yet. Like, Mm -hmm. like whatever, you know, we need to get these pieces in place before this is going to be able to manifest. Yeah. Um, so how do you walk through that? Like, how do you keep the boldness while also looking at the nitty gritty details of, okay, I I have to have these people in place. I have to have this infrastructure in place. I have to have this money saved up. Uh, what does that look like for you? I don't know that you ever strike the balance, to be honest. Mm -hmm. There's never a good time to have kids, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that you find that balance. Now you don't want to be foolish. Sure. You know you don't you don't want to to launch without the resources to launch. Um, but if you wait for the perfect time, where the, you, you're never going to find it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, after Kim told me we were pregnant with Abby, it was like holy crap! Like oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah. And I, even during the pregnancy, I don't know that there was a moment that I thought I was ready until Abby was like laying in the incubator and she wrapped her finger around my pinky. And I was like, I mean, wrapped her hand around my pinky and I was like, okay, I'm ready. I got this. Yeah. And I think the same thing She's is true. She's wrapped around hers ever since. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so I think, I, I think that analogy is apt because you're never ready. You're never going to have enough resources. You're never going to have enough people. And the truth is every church in America, and I'm not exaggerating, every church in America that's honest is saying we don't have enough workers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we think about money being the dominant resource necessary to plan a church, no. but it's not. It's it's people. If you don't have the right people, you're going to be in trouble. And so even if you've got a, a good amount of money, you've got to count the cost when it comes to your human beings. Um, But even with that, you're never going to have enough. We're never going to have enough people to plant all the churches we want to plant, but we're still, we're still going to do it. (laughs) So so, anyway, so that's again where you go, okay, um, there's got to be an element of faith to this. And if it's not, then God's not really in it. If if I'm doing it and it's a hundred percent safe, it's not God. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be some, some risk, you know, in air quotes, um, involved in this. So, but for us, we started, we announced Blairsville in, um, let me think 
in October, November of 2019 and said, Hey, we're going to get serious about this. And then COVID happened in the spring of 2020 and <clears throat> I talked to my board and I was like, are you guys still cool with this? Cause we have no idea what's <laughs> going to happen. And they're like, yep, we're trusting God. We trust you. Let's go. And we promptly bought two buildings in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Like real estate transactions <laughs> weren't even supposed to be happening. Um, but we bought two buildings and, um, started renovation and, it was like, in hindsight, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. At the time, it was risky. Like yeah. it felt, it felt a little risky, and so, but it's worked out, you know. Um, and so, you could probably say the same thing about Johnstown uh, or any church plant, if we were thinking about it for that matter. Um, global recession, um, giving in our church is down from where it was five months ago, six months ago. You know, like the margins are tightening. Um, and it doesn't seem to make sense to, for us to say, let's go. And I don't want to be foolish about it, but at the same time, if God said go, you're going to be in disobedience if you don't go. And if God said go, he's going to provide and take care of it. Right. And one of the, one of the, I mean, not to preach, but one of the stories that, uh, you know, I shared with our church and I shared with our leadership was when, um, when Joshua led the, the people of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, um, scripture says it was at that the Jordan was at flood stage and that's a seasonal flood. God knew when it was coming, yeah. but he still made them go across the Jordan at the worst possible time. And I have to believe it's because God said, was saying, I want to get the credit for this. I want you to get across the Jordan and you're going to know it was me and I'm going to stop the river up and you're going to walk across on dry land and I'm going to get all the credit. And if it was a Creek, you'd be able to go, well, I mean, God didn't have to do that much. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so. love the I love the fatherhood analogy there because what it looks like to me is like when you know you're going to be a father and you're thinking it through. Like I don't know how I've never anticipated fatherhood, so I don't know how many nights you spend thinking it through or you're mm-hmm. just like, okay, maybe you read books, maybe you're just like all this prep and all this stuff and then you say it's not until you're there in that moment and then you, you become the person that you needed mm-hmm. to be. And it's like, yeah. okay. And, and it's, it's like a revelation is what yeah. it, it feels like to me, you know? And so the same thing when it comes to uh, walking in obedience to God with planting a church, it's like, okay, well, we could spend a year preparing and thinking it through. Um, but it's probably the case that you're not going to become the person that you need to be to make it work until you're standing in the building, mm-hmm. until it's done, until you're there, mm-hmm. until you've arrived. And, I don't know why that kind of stuff is kind of is sort of withheld from us, but I think it goes to your point about God, God wants the glory for it. And if you can do it yourself, then you have less incentive to glorify God. Yeah. So when you're doing something like this, do you have a contingency plan? Do you go into it with an exit strategy? Do you go into it with uh, okay, if this completely flops, if this doesn't work at all, how do I, uh, mitigate the damage um is is that part of the conversation that happens with the board is that like part of the calculation yeah it has to be to some degree um but that can't be dominant thinking um i mean it's kind of like if you get married and if you if you ask somebody to get married and they say yes but let's talk about a prenup you know, it'd be like, wait a second, <laughs> you're already thinking about divorce. You know, what if this doesn't work out? Yeah. And so I would say, yes, you have to f- from a stewardship perspective uh, and depending on what you're doing. And that's what I said earlier. Like there's lots of different ways you can plant. I mean, you can plant 
you know, again, my friend Chris Trethway, they've got multiple locations and some of their locations have very, very, very little cost because of how they're doing it and where they're doing it at. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be much of anything for them to be able to get out of it. And then there's some, you know, for us, it would be hard to get out of Blairsville if something happened because we're so heavily invested there. We've bought buildings and uh, renovated buildings and millions of dollars of buildings sitting in downtown Blairsville. So, um, so I think you have to, to some degree early on, but, um, but I would not let that dominate think, uh, thinking I would, I would want to know, okay, this is how we could do this if we had to, but the, the lower cost you have going into it, the less you have to worry about that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's certainly advantages to the lower cost kind of entry, but then also I think about the advantages of heavily investing and, and putting your neck on the line for a town. And then mm-hmm. the townspeople see that yeah. and they're like, wow, he's really, he's really like this church is really uh, investing in us. This church is really um, prepared to sacrifice for us. So they yeah. must see a future for us. And I think that that's, and you know, I think, I think a lot of that was kind of carried into Johnstown because like, you know, we, we gave them the best we could mm-hmm. on the night of worship. Yeah. Um, and I think that they, they felt that and they mm-hmm. felt like, you know, wow, this, this church is coming here and they believe in us enough. They yeah. believe in this, it, that, that God can do a work here enough that they're going to give their best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even, even if uh, half speed for some, it would still be better than what they're used to. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the case, but if yeah. it was the case, we're, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go full speed yeah. no matter what. And so like, that's, I think that there's, there's advantages both ways, but I think that that's kind of an important one when it comes to like heavily investing. Yeah. Well, and I think the bigger your church is, the bigger your budget is easier it is to go in with a heavy investment because still relatively speaking um, you're not risking as much as you know if if you're a church with a a $800,000 budget and you buy a $5 million building in a town that you're going to go plant in and you haven't started anything yet it's like that might be risky but if you've got a $20 million budget and you buy a $5 million you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. the risk is relative to to what you're doing currently so so speaking of budgets, and we can end on this uh, point. Uh, they say in survival, uh, when you need, when you're gathering firewood, you need to gather five times more than what you think you need. Is the same thing true of money when it comes to church planting? <laughs> uh, in a perfect world, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, Mel alluded to this. Really, didn't allude to this. Mel said this a few minutes ago, right? Like if God, if God calls you to go and you don't, that's disobedience. And so if you, if you wait for the perfect day, it's never going to be here, right? But, you know, the flip side of that is if if God is not calling you to go, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You have yeah. all the money in the world and you may not be successful, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, to just yes is the answer to your question. In a perfect world, sure, five times as much as you'd need mm-hmm. to, to go and do it. Absolutely. Um, but if that's going to be the thing that stops you from going to do it, well, that's, you know, that's not good either. Yeah. Yeah. And philosophically, I'm, I'm kind of the guy that I never want too much money in our bank account, which sounds weird to say, <laughs> but I want, I want the money doing ministry. Like, so I don't want to sit on a pile of cash just in case something bad happens. Um, cause I feel like if we're faithful to do what God's asked us to do, he's going to provide for us. And again, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be stupid about, yeah. you know, anything we're doing, but if we're being faithful, I just think God will take care of us. God will provide. And so, you know, we've got 
we've got floors that we go, hey, we're not letting our savings account get below this number or whatever it might be. Um, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be super comfortable having five times our annual budget in our savings account, you know, just just in case. I wouldn't mind having it for, you know, church planning reasons right. to be able to go, hey, God's called us to go start a church. Let's, Let's go do that right now. Let's go yeah. write a check for a building and we're going to get mm-hmm. something started next week, you know. But at the same time, um, I think a lot of times, I mean, we talk to churches all the time that that they've got an endowment on their building, right. but their church is dead. It's yeah, like they're dying a slow death because their endowment is keeping them on life support. Whereas yeah. if they had if they'd been willing to take that money when they still had a large enough group of people and a young enough group of people mm-hmm. to really go and do impact their community, they could be a thriving church right now. They could right. be al- alive, yeah. but they sat on that money. They sat mm-hmm. on the resources that they had and, and just allowed that to be, like I said, their life support that just has kept them, you know, dying a slow and agonizing death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you're being strategic about all of this, but you're watching yourself to make sure that your strategic thinking isn't crowding out the space for your faith. Yeah. It's not like it's, it's not becoming, uh, it's not just taking up all the space in the room to where there's no more room left for you to just trust in God. Yeah. And I think that that is a pretty good balance to strike when it comes to this sort of thing. And so I'm really happy we were able to have this conversation and I learned a lot from it. Um, you know, and I'm really excited for things to come with summit. Hey, and let me say one more thing. If there are some pastors listening to this and maybe you've, you felt like God's put on your heart to start a location or to start a, a, a new church, yeah. but you're not sure how you're a little nervous about getting started, man, I would love for you to reach out to me. Let me know. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it because we haven't done it perfectly at all, but sometimes just having a dialogue yeah. with somebody will help birth something. And so, um, you can email me. My email is just mel at summitpa.church. Just shoot me an email and say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about church planning and, um, and we can figure out a time to talk and work through some stuff and strategize and dream and plan. And I'd be honored and delighted to do that. So let me know. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, Mel, Todd. Thanks guys. Thank you guys for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.